I'm a little, still a little foggy from the, the trip over, but I uh, had a, a great uh, day yesterday and the day before, and I'm so privileged to be here. I've known your pastor for many, many years, a faithful man of God, and I count him as a friend, and uh, it's just, it's a privilege to be here. I am here with my whole family. I have uh, my, would you guys stand up there, would you, for me? My wife, Heidi, and then my daughter, Brittany, my daughter, Sarah, my daughter, Caleb, <laughs> my son, Caleb, my son, Ken, and I got another one somewhere. Where is he? He's five, he's five years old. He's, I don't know where he is, but uh, <laughs> thank you very much. And I appreciate them singing this morning, and um, they're a great blessing to me. Um, I do pastor in Woodstock, Virginia. And there's a lot of history, a lot of American history that, that took place in Woodstock, Virginia. Just It's in the Shenandoah Valley, a beautiful part of the country. Not quite as beautiful as Ireland is. Uh, don't tell my, my people in my church I said that, but uh, you live in a very beautiful country. And uh, what, a, what a blessing. So let's open our Bibles together to the book of John. John chapter number 19. Let's spend some time in John chapter number 19. And... Um, the focal point of all of history, right here, John chapter number 19. Um, would you stand with me as we read? I'm not sure if you do that around here, but as respect to the Word of God, let's stand. We'll start reading in John chapter number 19 and verse number 1. John 19 and verse number 1. <clears throat> the Bible says in John 19 verse 1, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged Him. And the soldiers played the crown of thorns and put it on His head, and they put on Him a purple robe, verse number 3, and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote Him with their hands. And Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring Him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in Him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man! When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When, the Pilate, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more troubled, and went again to the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto, thy, unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth, sat him in the judgment seat in a, pl- in a place that is called the pavement for the Hebrew Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And they saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he, uh, he the, then delivered he the, the, him therefore uh, unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth unto a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, verse number eighteen, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side. One. We thank you for being our our creator, our sustainer, and thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless the time and the Word of God. I thank you for the privilege and honor it is to have the perfect Word of God in our laps. I thank you for the privilege that you've given me this morning to preach the Word of God. But I pray that my my flesh and my carnality would not get in the way of this message that you have for us, your people. We want to say this morning that we love you. We're thankful for you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for their pastor. And I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. 
Several years ago, I was preaching a, a week of revival meetings down in the Midwest and back in America. And before the service, a lady came up to me with one of her friends, a visitor that she had invited. And she came up to me and said, Pastor Sparks, I want to introduce you to my friend. And so I put my hand out, shook her hand. And the friend shook my hand, told me her name. And she said, I want you to know right now, I'm only here for my friend. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't believe that about the Bible. I don't believe any of that. I'm just here to be a friend to my friend. She invited me. I promised to come and I, I decided to come. So I'm making small talk with her and all of a sudden I realize, okay, she's an atheist. But as I'm talking to her, I look and I see a, a necklace around her neck and dangling on that necklace is a little emblem and it was a cross. I said, Ravam, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, um, what is that on your neck? And she says, oh, it's a necklace. I said, yeah, but what is that emblem hanging on that necklace? She said, oh, this. And she was almost surprised and shocked that she was wearing a cross. I said, I said, what is that? She said, well, well, it's a cross. I said, but, but this doesn't mean anything. It's just, it doesn't mean anything. It's just jewelry. I said, oh, okay, all right. Well, during the service, I began to preach. I preached for about 45 minutes and it didn't matter what I said. I could see her. She was sitting over there. No matter what I said, she would just kind of shake her head no, and she'd fold her hands and be really stern-faced. I could say the sky was blue, and she'd shake her head no. I could say I'm good-looking, she'd shake her head, and she'd say no. Everything I said was true, she denied. But after a while, I began to talk about Christ and the cross, and I started doing one of these like, that's like some of you saying amen. I mean, she was like, that was a big deal. I saw that. After the service, she came forward. She grabbed the pastor's wife and they went in the back room and I'm talking to other people, making some small talk to other people. Next thing I know, somebody grabbed my arm. I mean, like, I, I mean, just a grip on my back of my arm. I turned around. That atheist woman was sitting there weeping and she said, Pastor Sparks, when I came here, she said, this meant nothing to me, but I just accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. Now this means everything. Do you realize that that's what the cross of Christ ought to mean to you and I? It ought to mean everything. Not an emblem, not just a thought, not just a a pleasantry, but the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. Now the Lord is very big about remembering what Jesus Christ did. It should motivate us. The love of Christ should constrain us, the Bible says. And so we're supposed to remember that Jesus Christ died. We often go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. This do in remembrance of me. This is my body, which was broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. This cup is the New Testament and my blood was shed for many. This do in remembrance of me. He wants us to remember the fact that Jesus was willing to become a man, live a sinless life, die on the cross and rise again the third day. He wants us to remember those things. Even uh, Peter, in Second Peter chapter number 1, verse 13 says this, Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. He said, I want to arouse you believers. I want to stir you up. I want, to, I want you to call you to action by remembering what Jesus Christ did. Again, in Second Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 1, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir you up, uh, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. I believe that Christianity today around the globe needs to be stirred up. And stirred up means that we are arising, that we are no longer slumbering, but that we are waking to action. Too many Christians and too many believers are lukewarm. Just complacent and apathetic. And I want to tell you that the cross ought to mean everything to us. He wants us to remember the stripes. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse number 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon Him. And the Bible says, and with His stripes we are healed. Amen. The book of Isaiah, chapter number 50, verse number uh, verse number 6, Jesus uh, prophecy of Jesus, I gave my back to the smiters. He allowed people to spit upon him and to slap him to, and to pull out the, the hair of his, of his uh, beard and, and pull the hair from his cheeks. He wants us to remember the fact that he was, his visage was more marred than that of any man. This was not a robber. This was not a thief. This was the creator of the world willingly laying down on the cross and letting people kill him. Jesus said in John chapter number 10, I laid down my life. No man take it from me. He willingly died on that cross as the Lamb of God for your sins and mine. And He wants us to remember it so it would stir us up so that the cross would mean everything to us. Listen, folks, I'm just being honest with you. I'm thankful for those three nails. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ was willing to die on that cross for your sins and mine. And as we read about this crucifixion, as we turn around and as we, as we look at that cross and we see those hands and his, those nails in his hands and the nail in his feet that he's willing to die on that cross, this crowd was yelling, crucify him, crucify him. They weren't bothered by the brutality. They weren't bothered by the blood. They weren't, they weren't bothered by those nails pounding his hands. But there was something when they turned around and looked at the cross, there was something that bothered most of those people. And it was not the crown of thorns. It was not the, uh, it was not the, uh, the scars. It was not the wounds. It was not the blood. What was it? What bothered those, those people? You know what bothered those people? The fourth nail. Wasn't the three nails that I believe they pounded a nail in his right hand and a nail in his left hand. And I believe that they crossed his feet and pounded a third nail there. But it wasn't those nails that bothered him. It was that fourth nail that bothered them. And I think it's the fourth nail that speaks to us. Because what we're talking about is not just what Jesus did on the cross. This heart of this text is not necessarily just what Jesus did. The question in this text is, who was Jesus? Who was He? Not just what He did, but who is He? As we turn around and we look at that fourth nail, we find out who He is. Now you might say, Pastor Sparks, you're talking about a fourth nail. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, let's look a little further in the text. John 19 and look at verse number 19. John 19 and verse number 19. The Bible says, And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. I believe in that day there were three things on that cross. There was our Savior, our sin, and there was a sign. What the Romans would do is they would nail a sign above the criminal's head. So that when you walked by that sign, you knew why that criminal was suffering the, the incredible, uh, merciless death of the crucifixion. And so they would take that nail, they would nail it above that, uh, that person being crucified, so you'd walk by and be able to tell the reason for the person being crucified. And so I want to talk a little bit about that sign this morning. I want to talk a little bit about that fourth nail because I believe it's extremely important. The first thing we see when we see that fourth nail is number one of the things that we see about Jesus is number one, we see that Jesus is the sinless one. We find out that Jesus is the sinless one. So they would say, all right, what is your crime? Now I believe the man to his right had nailed above his head, thief. And the man to his right had nailed above his head, thief. If if uh, if Barabbas was nailed on that middle cross, like I believe he should have been, yeah. it would have been thief and it would have been murderer. Yeah. That's what he did. But if you walked by and saw that fourth, fourth nail, what did you see? See, there was no accusation to nail above the head of Jesus Christ because Jesus never sinned. Watch this. John chapter 18, verse number 29. John 18, verse number 29. The Jews want him killed, but they couldn't kill him. Now, it's interesting. Folks, I know you know your Bible, but you realize that um, the Jews had to reject him 
and sanctify the, the death of Christ, but he had to die by a Roman method. See, if Jesus was going to be killed uh, by the Jews, he would have been thrown down into a pit and he would have been uh, he would have been stoned. But the Bible was very clear that Jesus, when he died, would be lifted up, and then not only he would not be stoned because not a bone would be broken. So he had to be rejected by the Jews, but he had to die the the Roman method by the, uh, in, uh, Psalm twenty two that he would be pierced. And so here's Jesus. He's being rejected by the Jews. So the Jews are trying to convince the Romans to kill him. Now watch this. In John chapter 18, verse number 29, Pilate then went unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? In essence, what he's saying is this. You want me to kill him. What do I need to nail above this man's head to justify his murder, to justify his crucifixion? Now here's their answer. Verse number 30. Then answered and they answered and said unto him, If he were not a male factor, that's an evil doer, that's a that's a criminal. If he were not a male factor, we would not have de- delivered him up unto thee. Right. What's their answer? Well, if he wasn't a bad guy, we wouldn't be here. They never gave him an answer. They never gave him a reason because they couldn't. They were always trying to trip him up and never could. And the book of Matthew chapter number four, the, the accuser of the brethren hurled everything he could at Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said, it is written. I'm here to tell you that fourth nail tells us that Jesus Christ is the sinless one. The Bible says that Jesus went about doing good. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. The Bible says that Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is the sinless one. Jesus Christ never sinned. Now, in order to be crucified, you had to have at least two witnesses. And the Jews knew that. In the book of Matthew chapter 27, they, they got tried to get all these false witnesses together to come up with some accusation. They finally got two that agreed in their accusation that said, this man said that he would destroy the temple and in three days he'd raise it up. Folks, that's not a crime. <laughs> it's not a crime. There was no accusation. Even the man that delivered him unto them, the, the man Judas Iscariot, said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with that just man. And Pilate, who was in charge of this whole mess, Pilate said multiple times, I find no fault in him. And yet they put him on that cross. They nailed that uh, accusation, which was nothing. There was no accusation. And they nailed him there on that cross, and he died on that cross as the sinless one. Jesus Christ never sinned. Not only do we find on that fourth nail that he was the sinless one, but we find out that he was the sacrificial one. I like this. Look at verse number 19. The Bible says, and he wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The Bible says in verse number 20, this title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. It was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Now I'm aware that the gospel was first to the Jews, right? And then to the Greek. Right? To the Jew, uh, and then to the Gentile. And the Bible says that this, this title, this fourth nail of this sign was written in Hebrew uh, for the Jews, uh, the Greek. And that would be all the, the world that, that Alexander the Great had, had conquered would know that Greek language. And then Latin, and that is the, that's the Roman Empire and the language that they would speak. It was written, that title was written above his head so that all mankind would know who Jesus really was. Whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, whether you were a Greek or a Roman, you would know why Jesus Christ was there. 
Let me just tell you this. So you'd walk by and go, well, wow, uh, that man is so badly beaten. And, and look at his visage is more marred than any man. That brutality. What did this man do? And you look at that fourth nail and there's no accusation. There's no crime. So the next question would be, well, then why is he there? If this man didn't do anything wrong, why is he there? See, he wasn't there to die for his sins. He is not only the sinless one, he is the sacrificial one. He is dying for the sins of the world and not his own sin. The Bible says it was written in these languages. You know, languages are pretty interesting things. Now, um, I, I barely speak English. Uh, coming here and going back, we had the opportunity to have a layover either in Paris or in London. And I chose London because they speak English, don't they, over there? <laughs> so I thought maybe London would be better. Now, in Ireland, coming here to Ireland, I know that most uh, people in Ireland speak English. Now, now I know when you really get going, I can't understand you. <laughs> and I'm sure when I get going, you can't understand me either. And I'm like, was that English? I'm not sure. Was that English? Did I miss something there? But uh, but, to, but languages are, are amazing. Now, we understand where we got all of the languages, right? Billions and billions of you. Oh, maybe not. <laughs> in Genesis chapter number 11... After Noah comes off of the ark, and after the Lord says, all right, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, spread yourself out, man is still rebellious, and man says, no, we'll not go. As a matter of fact, we'll build a tower, we'll build it up to heaven, we'll make a name for ourselves, and God came down and saw what they did, and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop them from that work. I'm going to make them really obey what I've told them to do. And the way, the way that I'm going to do that is not fire and brimstone. I'm going to confound their languages. In Genesis chapter 11, that's the exact word he used. I'm going to confound their language. So here you are, you're working on this tower, and you ask your worker for a for a hammer, and, and you say, hey, can I have a hammer? And he says, don't they estar usted? What? <laughs> this is the Tower of Babel. We speak English here. Um, so you couldn't understand. So what happened was, because he confounded their language, now man becomes separated and becomes obedient to what God called them to do because their languages were confounded. Can I tell you the amazing miracle that God did in Acts chapter number 2? In Acts chapter number 2, Peter gets up and begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, they're full of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that when Peter spoke, an unlearned man, when Peter spoke, that, that there were Jews from every nation... And the Bible says that they heard Peter speak in their own language. And the Bible says that they were confounded. God allowed a miracle, a reversal of Genesis chapter number 11, so that everyone could hear the gospel in their own language. See, that is the true gift of tongues. The true gift of tongues is the, the ability to preach the gospel. And you you hear your own language, a language that I did not myself learn, that I don't know, but God used, uh, used uh, the preaching of the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that more people could hear the gospel. What a tremendous God we have. You see, the Bible's pretty clear that He's the sacrificial one, and He's the sacrificial one for all men. Hebrew and Greek and Roman. He is the, he is the Savior of all men. The Bible says, who would have all come to the knowledge of the truth. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus Christ was dying on that cross for the sins of the world. Not His own sins, but for the sins of the world. He's the sacrificial one. And can I just say, He's the only sacrifice that is our propitiation. Big word, right? He is our propitiation. He is our mediator. He's the only mediator. 
It's Jesus Christ. The Bible says that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It's not Mary. It's not the Pope. It is only through Jesus Christ. He is our advocate. He's our mediator. He's our intercessor. And I love what Job says. He is our daysman. Have you read Job chapter number nine lately? Job, what a, what a, Wonderful chapter, chapter 9 is. And Job says, listen, I know that I'm unclean. I know that I'm unworthy. I know that I can't stand before a holy God. I wish there were some man that could stand betwixt us. I wish there was some man that could lay hold of God and lay hold of man and bring us together. I'm here to tell you, there was a man that could lay hold of God and lay hold of a sinful man and bring us together. And that man is Jesus Christ. I am so thankful for the cross of the cross of Calvary. We find out, number one, that He is the sinless one. Number two, we find out that He is the sacrificial one. He was sinless, not dying for His own sins. He was the sacrificial one dying for ours. But I want you to notice the most important thing about this fourth nail. Look at John chapter number 19 again in verse number 19. They would nail the accusation above their heads, but look at verse number 19. The Bible says that it wasn't an accusation that they nailed above His head. The Bible says, And Pilate wrote a what? A title. Now remember I told you it's not about what Jesus did. It's about who Jesus is. He wrote a title. What title did did the uh, did Pilate have uh, nailed above his head? Well, let's read it. The Bible says, And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the what? The king of the Jews. See, he was the, 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 the sinless one. And, and he was the, and is the sacrificial one. But listen to me, the whole point of this text is, is that Jesus Christ is not just the sinless one, and He is not just the sacrificial one, but that Jesus Christ is the sovereign one. Now, the word sovereign is a pretty important word. It means supreme and power and dominion. It means supreme Lord and, and uh, ruler. And that's exactly who Jesus Christ is. He is the supreme one. The whole question of this text, look with me at John chapter 19, verse number 3 and said, Hail, King of the Jews. Look at verse number 12. John chapter number 19, verse number 12. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend, whosoever maketh himself a what? King speaketh against Caesar. Verse number 19. And it was the preparation of the Passover, about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the king, unto the Jews, Behold your King, verse number 15. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. The question in chapter 19 of the book of John is, is he or is he not your king? That has always been the question. From the time that Jesus Christ was born to the time that Jesus Christ died is the question, is he or is he not king? Let me show you that. Keep your finger in John 19. Go back with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew chapter number 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we have one of the genealogies. The genealogies is given to us to show us who is the proper king, who is who is the rightful heir to the throne. And we find out in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus Christ is the rightful heir to the throne. Now, let's pick it up in chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2 and verse number 1. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem, saying, watch, where is he that is born, what? King of the Jews. So from the day that he is, from the time that he is born, 
to the time that he dies, the question is, where is and who is the king? Who's the king? So these wise men are looking for him and they, uh, they approach Herod the king and say, hey, we're looking for the, the, uh, the king for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in verse number 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah, art not thou the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Look at verse number 11. Verse number 11, the Bible says in, in verse number 11, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young uh, child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, these wise men said, hey, we're looking for the king. And when they found King Jesus, what did they do? They bowed their knee. They bowed their knee and said, here's the king. Here's the king. Now, these folks, these these people were not Jews. But they're bowing to Him because He must be more than just the King of the Jews. And not only are they bowing to Him, they are presenting Him presents. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh saying, You're the King. We bow our knee. We present to You everything that we have because of who You are. And that's the way we ought to look at our Savior. That He is the King. And we need to bow our knee and present everything we have to Him. But not everybody does that. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says, Being born of God in a dream... Uh, that they would should not return to Herod, they departed unto their own country another way. When they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will, dis- will seek to the young child to destroy him. Look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under according to the time which uh, uh old under according to the time which he had diligently acquired of the wise men. So look up here. They're saying, Where's the king? But Herod says, Wait a minute, he's not the king, I'm the king. Yeah. The wise men said, We're gonna bow to the king, and Herod says, Nobody bows but to me. The wise men said, we'll give you of our gold. Herod says, nobody gives gold but to me. I'm the one that, that will raise your taxes. I'm the one you give to. So the question from the time that he was born to the time that he dies, is Jesus truly king? Is Jesus truly Lord? I know a lot of people that are thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. They're thankful that he died on the cross of Calvary. Listen, if you're, if you're thankful that he died for you, would you say amen? So thankful for the blood of Calvary. As a little boy, seven years old, I remember uh, a man opening up the scriptures and telling me that I was a sinner and that Jesus loved me and he died for me. And there, as a little boy at seven years of age, I remember asking Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. And I want to tell you, I'm a lot older than that now, but I have not gotten over the fact that Jesus loved me and died for me. I am so thankful to be sanctified. I'm thankful to be forgiven and justified, washed by the blood of the Lamb. I am excited about being saved. I'm, I'm thankful for having a book. I'm thankful for having the Word of God. Now, I just want to tell you, this, this King James Bible is God's Word without error. Yeah. We have God's preserved Word. And we don't have to trust in a man and what a man says. We know what God says. We have His Word. I was at a, um, a Catholic funeral a couple of years ago. There was about 350 people there. I was there for a friend. And now sitting there towards the back with my friend. And, and this priest got up. And as he got up, he, he said, now... The Bible doesn't have a lot to say about the afterlife. 
exactly. So let's just talk about this man that, that passed away. Let's just talk about his life. And, I, and that could be, I could feel my, my blood pressure rising. I want to say that if you don't know what the Bible says about the afterlife, you need to sit down. Uh, let, let me add it. I'll tell you yeah. what the Bible says about the afterlife. You see, they have the traditions of the church and they have their own philosophies and their own theories, but we have the ever-living uh, truth of the Word of God, which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We, we have the book. So we believe in the blood and we're thankful for the blood of Calvary. We're thankful for, for the Bible. But yet, I, as I started here this morning, I'm telling you that we're lukewarm. Yes, sir. We're complacent. And we need to be stirred up. We need to, we do a rise to action. And I, I don't, I mean, I just met you, but I do, I've been in a lot of churches over the years and I see a lot of good people that have a lot of Bible knowledge and believe in the book and, and have believed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But boy, there, when it comes to action, when it comes to commitment, when it comes to service, when it comes to faithfulness, when it comes to giving, when it comes to witnessing, well, we, we kind of back off just a little bit. Because we have the blood and we we have the book, but we've never really bowed. You see, that fourth nail, that three nails crucified Him, that fourth nail ought to crucify us. Say, wait a minute, you're not just the Savior of the world. You're the Sovereign. You're the King of Kings and and you're the Lord of Lords. There was a a couple years ago, I was walking into a a convenience store in a a, a bad section of the town in the inner city. And I don't know if you have them here, but in this, in this, in this, uh, this little gas station where they sell milk and eggs and bread and stuff, um, there's some bulletproof glass. And, uh, that's how bad it is. So I walked in there and I had a t-shirt on that said, Jesus is Lord. And I'm a pretty good sized billboard. And so I, I said, Jesus is Lord. And I walked in there and there's a guy behind the bulletproof glass that worked there. And, uh, he had a towel wrapped around his head. I don't know if his hair was wet, but, um, <laughs> So I walked in there and he's looking straight at my shirt. And so I'm like, all right, I want him to be able to read it. So I go over and I get my eggs and get my milk over here. And so then I walk right up. I walk right up to the bulletproof glass. He's looking out at me. He's looking at my shirt. He's just staring at it, just staring at it. And so I said, Jesus is Lord. No! Jesus is no Lord. Jesus is Lord. No! Jesus is no Lord. I'm like, you're lucky you're behind bulletproof glass right now. uh, (laughs) No! Jesus is Lord. I said, wait, 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 wait. Okay, all right, all right. I said, who do you think Jesus is? He said, Jesus was a messenger. I said, that's right, he was a messenger. And his message is, Jesus is Lord. (laughs) He said, no, 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 I will never say, I will never say that Jesus is Lord. I said, now you've gone and done it. <laughs> the Bible says in Philippians chapter number 2 that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. I'll be bowed down that day, so will you. And I'm going to look for a guy with a towel on his head. I'm going to say, I told you so! And I'll get back down real quick. I will never say. We'll all say. But I can ask you this, if you've accepted Him as your sinless sacrifice, then why not accept Him as your sovereign? Jesus put it this way, and why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? You're saying that I have this title. You say that I have this authority, but I have no authority over your time. I have no authority over your money. I have no authority of your of your goals and your dreams. I have no authority over your house and your home. I have no authority over your entertainment, what you will and will not do. I have no authority whatsoever. See, in John chapter number 19, if we could turn back there just for a moment, John chapter number 19, they're making fun of his authority. 
They're making, they're mocking his, his, uh, his deity, his, his royalty. In John chapter number 19, watch verse number, verse number, uh, two, John 19 verse two. And the soldiers plated a crown of thorns and, and put it on his head. Well, every, every king needs some, needs a crown. So they got some thorns together. Uh, I cut a lot of firewood and I live out in the country and we burn a lot of firewood and so we go back uh, deep into the woods and we take down some trees and I bring my, my three boys back there and, and, uh, one is 16 and one is 15 and, and one is, well, one just turned five. <laughs> yeah, so I'm too old for a five year old. So, so we went out there in the woods and, and I'm, you know, I'm cutting, I'm, I'm cutting the trees down and I'm, I'm, I'm cutting them in sections. The boys are loading them up, throwing them on the cart and the four wheeler. They're bringing them down through the path, down to our house and making big loops and stuff. And we're kind of keeping an eye on, kind of keeping an eye on, on the little one. Well, I, I was cutting something and I'm, and the, the chainsaw is wide open, but I hear this blood curdling scream. And I'm thinking, whoa. And so I, I turn off, I turn around, and it's my little boy. He's on the ground. And I go running over there, and he's got these big crocodile ears coming down. And we have, we have uh, rattlesnakes up there and stuff. And I, I, all these things are going through my mind, like, what is, what is wrong with this kid? Is he okay? And I go running over there, and he's sitting there. He's crying and crying. He's holding on to his leg. I said, son, what's wrong? He said, something got me. And, I, and I'm thinking, oh, rattlesnake. I'm thinking rattlesnake. And so, so he pulls up his, 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 uh, his pant leg, and, and it's bleeding a little bit there on his pant leg. I said, what got you, son? What got you? He said, that bush right there got me. <laughs> that bush got me. I said, what the, he goes, yeah, what is that bush? I said, those are thorns. He looked at me and said, daddy, why did God make thorns? He's crying saying, why did God make thorns? I said, son, listen, to, I said, I know that he didn't create it, but Adam made thorns. Adam and Eve made thorns. When they decided to, to, to sin against God and his eyes got real big like they made thorns, why would anybody do that? And yet part of the curse was the thorns that came up out of the ground and they, they took that curse that we made and they wrapped it up and, and they said, well, we're going to use this curse and we're going to mock your royalty and we're going to take this curse and we're going to crush it on your head. Every king needs a crown. Hey, every king needs a robe. The Bible says in verse number 2, and the soldiers plated a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe. Every king needs a robe. Open. The Bible says they put that on his on his back. Now think about what they just did in verse number one after they scourged him. That lictor would take that cat of nine tails and he would take those leather straps. And I was just reading about this not that long ago, and and I always heard you know metal or glass on the on the end of that of the of the of the cat of nine tails. This description that I read said that the the lictor, the guy who was in charge of the scourging, he, uh, most of them like to use bones. And what they found was the best bones that would, that would peel off the most flesh were sharpened lamb's bones. I thought, lamb's bones. Sharpen these lamb's bones and the lamb of God would spread his back and allow a man to take that cat of nine tails, hit him with that as they wrapped around his torso, and then pull. Lictor could kill a man in four minutes. His freshly opened, whipped, and scourged back Every king needs a crown. Here's some thorns. Every king needs a robe. Here's, here's a robe for you, king. The Bible says here in verse number, in verse number, uh, three, it said, Hail, king of the Jews. And they smote him with their hand. The Bible goes on in the book of Matthew says they took a reed and took a, every king needs a scepter and took a reed and put it in his hands. And, and here, here's a reed. And then they take the reed out and they beat him with a stick. Every king needs a reed. Every king needs a crown. Every, every king needs a robe. And then the, the Bible says that they bowed their knee. They bowed their knee and said, Hail, uh, Jesus, King of the Jews. 
Can I remind you that that same Jesus is coming back? And when that Jesus comes back, it will not be with a crown of thorns. The Bible says he will wear many crowns. It will not be a false robe. He'll be wearing a vesture dipped in blood. When he comes back, it will not be a reed in his hand, but he shall rule with a rod of iron. When he comes back, he will not, uh, he will not keep his mouth closed. Out of his mouth go the, a, a sharp sword. And when he comes back, it will not be the king of the Jews. It will be the king of kings and lord of lords when he comes back. Does he have any authority in your life? Have you ever just bowed your knees and said, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for being sacrificial. Thank you for being the sinless one that died in my place. But I bow my knee to your authority. Here is my life. When you were born, some wise men bowed their knee and said, here's everything we have. When you died, they said, is this the king? And they bowed their knee and mocked you. But Lord, I'm here to say, I, I bow my knee. I submit my will to you. You see, we don't, we don't have a commitment problem. We have a submission problem. We have a submission problem. Submitting to his authority. A couple of years ago, I was preaching in Canada, and you'll forgive me, I, I couldn't read, uh, I was, I was, uh, I couldn't read till I was 13 years old. And, um, I, that's, a, that's a whole long story, but, um, couldn't read till I was, till I was older. And, um, as a result, I didn't do very good in school. I don't even know how I graduated from college. I have no idea. That's a miracle. <laughs> But I was preaching over in Canada a couple of years ago, and after I got done, I went out, I went out to the foyer, and I'm shaking people's hands, and I'm just looking at the wall. I like to look at the walls and see what missionaries they support and different things. And they're in the middle of the, of the, of the wall, the foyer, they had a, a picture of a woman that had this, uh, little diamond crown on her head, and, and some white, uh, white, uh, um, dress, and some white gloves standing there looking very pious, and, and I'm like, I, I, I know who that is, right? I, I mean, I'm, I'm from America, but I, I'm pretty sure I know who that is. And uh, I think that's Queen Elizabeth, I'm pretty sure. So I go up there and look a little closer, and then I look down underneath it, it says, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of Canada. <laughs> what? I, 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 Queen of Canada? So after everybody left, I didn't want to embarrass myself, everybody left, I said, like, it's pretty coming for me. And I said, uh, is that a typo? Is she the Queen of England? She said, no, she's, she's also the Queen of Canada. How many knew that? Okay, I couldn't read till I was 13. <laughs> right. So I said, the Queen of Canada. Huh. I said, I never knew it. He said, you didn't know that? I said, no, I, I couldn't read till I was 13. I said, oh, I said, no, I never knew that. I said, that's, that's pretty amazing. I said, so she's the Queen. Yeah. I said, so she's got a, she's got the authority over Canada. I said, so she can like, she can muster the army. Oh, no, she can't do that. She can't muster the army. I said, oh, okay, well, she has the power to, to levy taxes. No, no, she can't do that. I said, she can pass laws? No, she can't do that. I said, well, you just said she's the queen of, of Canada. Well, yeah, she's the queen, but it's kind of like a title. Doesn't come with any authority. Yeah. Folks, we do that with Christ. It's a nice thought. In our prayers, we say, Lord, we've never bowed. Lord comes with authority. And we like the thought, but He's not going to tell me what to do with my money. We like the thought, but He, he is not going to tell me what I'm supposed to wear or what, what's appropriate to watch or not. He, he is not going to, He's Lord, but He has no authority. Maybe this morning you just need to bow your knee. If you're anything like me, I'm a stubborn, stubborn, stubborn man. Do we have any stubborn men here? So you're like, no, I'm not raising my hand. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. Stubborn. 
Do you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with being stubborn unless it's against the things of God. I know a lot of stubborn men that God got a hold of and turned into great men and women of God going in one direction in their stubbornness and decided to go the other for the cause of Christ. And every time that God took that stubborn individual going in the wrong direction, he presented himself for who he really is, and that man bowed his knee. Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah was already serving the Lord at that time. Do you know that? He already was serving the Lord at the time. But then he got a vision of who God really was, high and lifted up. Fell on his face and said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. Then he heard the, the, the cry of the Lord, who, who shall I send who will go for us? He said, well, I'll submit to your will. Amen. And God took some time to say, it's not going to be easy. I, I, I didn't sign up for it to be easy. You're the Lord and, and I'll go. You're the king and, and I'll follow. And he raised his hand and said, I'll go. I think of the Apostle Paul there. Paul on the road to Damascus. Crucify, or, 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 causing Christians to commit blasphemy. He's on that road to Damascus and the Lord Himself appears. He hated the name Jesus. Do you realize that? He caused them to blaspheme the name of Jesus. He hated the people that followed that way. And when, and when the Lord appeared to him, he said, Who art thou, Lord? Capital L. He's on his face. Who art thou, Lord? Capital L. And he says, I, he could have said anything. I'm the King of Kings. I am the Jehovah. I am the Creator. I am that I am. But the answer of the Lord was, I am Jesus. And in that moment, Paul realized Jesus is Lord. Bowed his knee and he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And God took that stubborn man going the wrong way, bowed his knee, and I'm just going to tell you, I think he was more stubborn for the things of Christ. The man's preaching. They drag him out and stone him. He gets out of the rubble and marches back in and says, and point number three is. But the key was he bowed his knee. I can't tell you, I know some good people that know a lot of the Bible that serve here and there. When it comes short, comes to the, the call of obedience on the next step, when it calls sacrifice to the next level, we kind of put our, 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 our feet down and say, I shall not be moved. Can I tell you how a little girl uh, just really stirred our church up a little bit? She stirred our church up. Uh, I was having a baptismal service about, um, I don't know, about a month ago. And uh, baptizing this family, and came to this little girl. She's about seven years old. And she was really tiny, really petite, little blonde-haired girl. Just just an adorable little girl. Well, I'm baptizing, and then she came down. She came down, and uh, she's holding on to the railing. And I put my hand down to, 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 to bring her into the water, and she won't let go of the railing. And so I'm looking at her, and I'm looking at the mom, and the mom says, she's deathly afraid of the water. Like, you should have told me this before. I mean, all of a sudden we're in front of 200-something people here. And, uh, and so, I, so I say, come on, come on, I'll, I'll, come on, I'm your pastor. I love you, come on. And so she let go of the railing, and she jumped onto me, and she grabbed my neck. And like, I mean, my head was turning purple. I mean, she's not letting go. And I'm holding there. I said, are you okay? Yeah, she's shaking like a leaf. I said, listen, are you all right? She said, oh, I'm scared. I said, are you scared of the water? She said, I am, I'm scared of the water. I said, do you, do you want to do this later? Do, do you want to do this later? And she said, she says, I'm really scared, but I want to be obedient to Jesus. And I stopped right there and I said, did you hear what she said? It smote me. I'm scared. I'm uncomfortable. Let me just put this uh, little parenthesis on here. Do you know the Lord expects us to be uncomfortable? Well, I'm not comfortable knocking on somebody's door. He expects us to be uncomfortable. 
You say, oh, Pastor Mark, how do you know that? If the, if the Lord wanted us to be comfortable, He wouldn't have sent us the comforter. Wait, what? Amen. He expects us to go in situations where we are not comfortable and He provides us the comforter. Amen. Which tells me He wants us to be uncomfortable. So I looked at my church and said, listen, I said, what's stopping you from being obedient? What's stopping you from bowing your knee? What's the next step of obedience that you have been reluctant to do? And you say, you know what? I don't want to do it. I'm scared to do it, but I want to be obedient to Jesus. And after that service, we had five people said, Pastor, I need to be, I need to be baptized. I was convicted by that little girl. A little girl can say, Jesus is Lord and I'll be obedient. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown man. Have you ever bowed your knee? Has there ever been a time? And, and listen, there are some of you that bowed your knee in the past, but you've long since stood up. Yeah. Oh yeah, I am. But you've long since taken that back. The other day, I'm not sure. I um, uh, I've I've had a lot of fun driving around your roads, and um, they're so wide, and uh, <laughs> wide and straight. It's just 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 amazing how wide and straight they are. And I'm not going to argue about who drives on the right side of the road or the wrong side of the road, but. We drive on the right side of the road, <laughs> literally. And so I'm looking around and stuff, and and uh, I, I've driven in, in Africa before, and and uh, I remember the pastor threw me the keys and said, "All right, preacher, you can drive." Threw me the keys, and I opened up the door, and I'm looking. There's no steering wheel. Oh, it's the other side. I go around the other side, and I get in it. And uh, we were driving through Lusaka, which is a pretty big city there, uh, over there. And and so I, it's a it's a it's a uh, standard, which I can drive standard. I love driving standard. And my truck is a standard, but it's on the left side instead of the right side. And and then we pull out to the first roundabout. You guys call them roundabouts here? <clears throat> Deathabouts. I'm about to die. So so the first one, I started going the wrong way. I'm going to. People beeping their horn. I'm sorry, I'm from America. I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm doing. But even in my own country, on the on the on the side that I'm used to, even that I can't drive right because my wife tells me I don't. <laughs> now don't get me wrong, my wife's not a backseat driver because she sits next to me. <laughs> but uh the other day we were this is really the, like I think last week, we were going somewhere. I was really tired. I've been doing a lot of preaching, I was really tired, and I said to her, I said, uh She's, we're going somewhere. I said, you can drive. No, 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 you drive. You, I don't want to drive. You drive. You drive. You're the man. You drive. You drive. Okay, fine. So I, I get in there and I, I back out of the driveway. I go to the stop sign and I go to take a left. She said, don't go that way. Go the other way. <laughs> Put it in park. Got out. I said, here's the keys. I got on the side. I said, you're driving. What? I, want, I don't want to drive. Well, if, <laughs> listen, either I'm driving or you're driving. One or the other. Listen, the Lord is not our co-pilot. Come on. Amen. Either he's driving or you're driving. Amen. We say he's driving, but we're telling him how to drive. We're telling him where to go. Folks, he's Lord. Amen. Is there one or two here this morning? So you know I know he's my, I know he's the son of this one. I know that. I know he's the sacrificial one. And I know I'm saved. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, today needs to be day, be the day. Some of you might have a lot of knowledge. Look up here. You have a lot of knowledge about the Bible and about Jesus. And you know a lot of things about the crucifixion. You know a lot of things about the death, burial, and resurrection. But listen, you've never truly repented of your sins and turned to Jesus Christ and received that gift. The Bible says, many shall say in that day, Lord, 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 Lord. They're calling Him Lord. They're not even saved. Lord, Lord, have we not? And they begin to list the things that they've done. Lord, I've knocked on doors. Lord, I, Lord, I, I've been to church. Lord, I, I listened to that ugly bald guy that one time from America. 
Lord, I've done these many things. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I'm, I'm afraid there's a lot of people in the Baptist church that know a lot of Bible, know a lot of Scripture, but don't know the Savior. Do you need to be saved? Would you be saved today? Several years ago, I was preaching in, in, uh, in Florida in a big church, big Christian school. I preached on Helen Lake of Fire. After the service, uh, one man came forward, and it was the pastor's son, who was the associate pastor, who was the principal of the Christian school. He came forward. I'm in the pulpit. The pastor's down there, uh, down the stairs, receiving people to come. And, and he came down there, and he said, son, what are you here for? He says, he says, he said, dad, he said, Brother Sparks is right. If I died right now, I'd bust hell right, wide open. I need to be saved. Son, you, you were saved. You were. He says, no, dad, I need to be saved. Yeah, but you're, you're the Christian school principal. You're the associate. Dad, I need to be saved. Amen. And he and his father knelt down there and accepted Jesus. He accepted Jesus Christ as a savior. I want to tell you, he went back into that school that next morning and about nine other young people, nine other teenagers, when they heard his testimony, they accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. If anybody could say, look at what I'm doing, it doesn't matter what we're doing. And so it matters, it matters what he did. Do you know Christ is your savior? So my two questions is number one, have you truly been saved? And number two, have you truly submitted to his sovereignty in your life? We're a rebellious people. We're a stubborn people. We were talking the other day about referees and how, at least in the States, they, they have, they have no respect for referees. They have no respect for police officers. They have no respect for their parents whatsoever. But the Bible says that the powers that be are ordained of God. And the problem is if we've taken God out, then there's no true authority. So there's no, there's no respect. Do we respect Jesus Christ's authority? Are you willing to bow your knee? Does he have control of your life or is he just some pretty picture? Some pretty thought that he's the king, he's the Lord. Does he have authority? Do you bow your knee? Every head bowed, every eye closed if you would. I'm not really sure how you do an invitation here, but I, my heart is burned here this morning. There's someone here would say, you know what, Pastor Sparks, uh, I know about Jesus, but I don't know for sure that if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. If you're not sure of your salvation, would you be honest enough to slip up your hand right now that I might pray for you? Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I may be, but I'm not sure. Please pray for me. Anyone at all? All right, Christian. How many through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit you realize that perhaps you're doing some things for the Lord? but you're not really submitted to His authority. Your knee's not really bowed. You're not truly submitted to, to a life pleasing Him. You're doing some good things, but you're not truly submitted to Him as the sovereign in your life. Now, I know that's hard to admit, but folks, this is so important. I want to say, Pastor Sparks, please pray for me. I need to submit to His authority. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Father, I thank You for the Word of God. I thank You, Lord, that Jesus Christ did die for us. As we look at that fourth nail, we see that He was the sinless one. Thank You, Lord, that He did no sin. Thank You that He was uh, God manifest in the flesh and willingly died in the cross of Calvary. Thank You, Lord, that He died for our sins. Thank You, Lord God, for Jesus Christ. But Lord, as we look at that fourth nail, help us, Lord, to realize that sign is a title that He is the King of the Jews, that He is the King of kings, and that He is the Lord of lords. And that one day every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, I pray that we'd not wait till that day, but that we would bow our knees now to who you are, that we'd submit to your authority and serve Jesus Christ until he comes. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for our Savior. I pray that you bless the preaching of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Pastor.